Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. This will be the second part of this question that God send Corona. And the reason why I'm dealing with this is because one of the biggest reasons why people wrestle with God or wrestle with the existence of God is because of suffering. And at the moment, the world is suffering. Many people in the world is suffering um, due to the coronavirus. And I've seen over and over people bring up the question, well, where does it come from? And can we blame God for this? Did God send Corona? So last week I dealt with the first part of this question and today I'm going to continue dealing with it and I just want to tell everybody that does listen to this podcast you don't have to have Podbean on your phone or on your computer to listen to this podcast it's available on YouTube it's for free you can go listen to it on iTunes you can go listen to it on Spotify so it's all over the show uh, just for in case because I heard that some people are wrestling with some of the uh, ways of listening to it I just want to give you a quick summary of what I spoke about last time for in case you did not listen to the first one I spoke about the inconsistent triad. The inconsistent triad says that if God is all-powerful and all-loving, then surely He can stop suffering. He can stop the coronavirus, for example. If He's all-loving and He doesn't do it, then it means that He's probably they're not all-powerful. Or if He's all-powerful and He doesn't stop the virus, then maybe He's not all-loving. And so that sort of argument places God in a difficult position. Either he's not all powerful or he is not all loving. If he didn't start it, then why doesn't he stop it? And if he did start it, why would he if he's all loving? And what does that say about his character if we would start a virus like this, if this is punishment on the world, for example? And my response was twofold so far. First of all, God is not all powerful. And what I mean by that is not that he can do anything. It's, it, it just means that he has given us power. He's given us free will. He's given us the opportunity to do whatever we choose to do. And sometimes there's consequences for that. Well, there's always consequences for that. And sometimes it's negative and sometimes it is positive. So we, I can't go and blame God because I designed a virus, for example. We can't go blame God because a government, the Chinese government that has free will to make decisions, have designed it. Or a doctor in a lab has designed it, for example. So we've got free will and God has given us free will and we wouldn't want it any other way. Sometimes we suffer because of people's free will. God has given us power to uh, make our own decisions and sometimes there's consequences for that. So first of all, my answer was that God is not all powerful in that sense, but he is omniscient and he is sovereign and we are not. And what I meant by that is, is that it is impossible for us as humans to try and comprehend how a God makes decisions with a, a world, with a human race, with global proportions. We can't even figure out the consequences of our individual decisions, never mind how one virus can impact the whole planet for hundreds of years to come, for example, and how that has a global uh, economical impact. Uh, it's like saying, for example, I know how to be president. No, you, you look at the president, you think he makes, he makes silly decisions. Well, until you haven't been president, you won't know that. And we can say the same thing. Until I haven't been God, I cannot really make a judgment about what he allows and what he does not allow. And that leaves us 
firstly with more responsibility of what is going on in the world regarding suffering than God. Where it seems like the first thing that we want to do when we suffer is we want to point fingers to God. But if you go look at the suffering in the world, more than 90% of the suffering in the world is not caused by God or some supernatural force. It is caused by people and the free will that people have to do things that hurts other people. The second thing that it does is that it leaves us humble. Since we realize that we are not God and we should be careful about making judgments of things outside of our limited capacity to understand or to control. So we have to be very careful to criticize God domain things. Now, today I will discuss further ideas related to the issue at hand. For example, three questions to think about. Does God cause suffering? If God does allow suffering, why would he? And thirdly, does God see all people who suffer the same? So I just want to be honest right out from, from the bat. I'm, I'm going to say quite a lot of stuff today. And, and I think it's going to be really impactful and really important. And I think it will really stimulate your thinking. So I want to encourage you to hang around. I call this the great correction. The great correction. I will give this, um, what, what I'm going to say today, I'm going to give it from a theological perspective. Uh, from what God has revealed about himself. And I've said this before, you know, you can you can go and try and make up your own arguments from your own mind. But at the end of the day, what does God say about this? And and I believe that God has revealed to us his mind and his will through more than 40 people who wrote over a period of 1,600 years, who had some form of revelation and connection with God, who wrote down these thoughts. So I'm going to share with you how God would respond to many of these questions. And let me start with point number one. God doesn't cause suffering, Satan does. God doesn't cause suffering, Satan does. Now, to ease us into this point, let me play you just a quick audio clip of Lawrence Krauss giving a lecture in 2009 entitled, A Universe from Nothing. He's a professor of cosmology and sees himself as an anti-theist. It means that he is directly opposed to God or the idea of God. Now, I tell you, I've, I've, I've seen this guy speak a few times and he's, he's truly um, quite an arrogant debater in, in, in one sense. In another sense, he was actually quite gentle and he's, he, he enjoys having discussions about things. But listen to this clip when he talks about stars exploding and how that's related to us. But the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay. Now listen to what he said. I think it is extremely interesting what he says. He says, the most poetic thing I know about physics. The most poetic thing that he knows about physics is that the stars explode and we are made from the dust that comes from those stars. And he says, you couldn't be here if stars have not exploded. So this is for him mind-blowing. If the stars were kind enough to explode, that's one of the things that he says. Now he, now he attributes personality to stars. And then he talks about the stars died so that you could be here today. Forget about Jesus. Now I think it is an amazing idea. And there's lots of stuff that we can unpack about what he says there. Uh, and you know what? I don't want to walk out straight of the bat and criticize what he, what he says. I think science brings such cool things to the table 
but in no way does it diminish the idea of God. In actual fact, uh, the reason why I placed this clip in there is because this makes the story and the idea of God so much more powerful and so much more amazing. Let me read to you what the ancient prophet Isaiah said. He said the following, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? He's speaking on behalf of God. So this is God speaking. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. So he says, look at the stars. Who created all these? He leads forth the starry host by number. He calls each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Wow. God names the stars. God numbers them. And science says that God sacrifices them for us so we can exist. Just let that sink in. Science has already said stars die so we can exist. Now listen to the second text. James 1 verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. I hope that you get that. I'm going to read that again. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Yeah, the Father of the stars, because the heavenly lights, those are the stars. The Father of the heavenly stars, who knows them by name, who numbers them and spoke them into existence, sacrifices them so we could live. If he lets stars die so we can be here, then goodness, he really likes us and cares for us, doesn't he? The one who rules the stars that the scientists brag about only sends what is good. He does only what is good. So if something is not good, it doesn't come from God. Well, the question is then where does it come from? But I just want to go back to just this idea. This text is proving once again what the scientist is saying is true. If the father of the heavenly lights, the father of the stars can let stars die so that we can live... Because we're made of the material that comes out of the apparently that comes out of the um, the the combustion that takes place when a when a star when a star explodes. If God will let stars explode so we can live, why would we ever think that He would send us anything bad? That's what I see James is saying. And in the verses prior to that, he does talk about this person that leads us uh, into suffering in verses fourteen and fifteen. Now. Where does the bad stuff then come from? And it comes from Satan. Now I know at this point many atheists are saying, Oh, here we go, another fairy tale story. Now, I'm going to talk about it now, but I'm not going to defend the, the existence of Satan now. I'll do that. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit now and later on I'll do a proper podcast on it. But let me just point out from scriptures how Satan is the originator of suffering in this world. And I would like you to just listen up. Satan hurts people without reason. His goal is suffering. He doesn't have a good goal in mind. Okay, In Job, Satan used the Sabians to steal Job's cattle. He used people, raiders. He used lightning or a volcano to destroy Job's servants and sheep. We're not sure. Maybe it was lightning. He used the Chaldeans, another group of people, to kill his other servants and steal his cam and Job's cam camels. And he used a powerful tornado or a strong wind to collapse Job's children's house on them so they all died. And then he went on and he inflicted Job with painful sores from the top of his head to the tip of his toes. 
We can also go look at Jesus. It was Satan that caused him suffering uh, in the wilderness. Satan used Judas to get Jesus crucified. The scripture says, specifically says that Satan entered Judas. So Satan can get into people. It was Satan who put Jesus on the cross. It was prophesied to happen. And if you go think about it, it was a crowd that wanted Jesus to be crucified. Who was that crowd? Well, it was a group of Jewish people, but there were also government officials involved. So Satan used governments and religious leaders to get this done, to have Jesus crucified. And these are just two examples. I'm just pulling out two. I can pull out many. But I think it is su- it's, it's sufficient to make the point that good gifts come from God. Bad gifts come from Satan. Satan is a killer. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a thug, he's a criminal, and he is powerful. People say natural disasters and viruses must come from God. When tornadoes sweep across the land, that must be God. When volcanoes erupt, that must be God. It's an act of God, they always say. Well, um, no, they don't. They don't have to come from God. Satan had power over wind. He had power over lightning. He had power over disease because he could bring about boils and sores on the body of Job. And he had power over people. He had power over governments. He had power in democracy. We think that a government that has been erected through democracy, there was no influence of Satan. Often, Satan has got the whole crowd deceived. So we've got to be very, very careful because he rouses up the crowds. That's why Jesus said when he teaches, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, wide is the gate and wide is the road leading to eternal destruction and narrow is the gate and narrow is the road leading to eternal life. The most common form of suffering in this world comes through people who are used by Satan. I mean, let me give you a few few examples. Here's a farmer. He's a cabbage farmer, for example. And He's got this crop of cabbages and he, and he wants to, to sell it. And then he realizes the worms are eating his crops. And he's not getting the income that he was hoping for. He has to throw out a lot of the cabbages. So he researches and he finds out, Oh my goodness, here's a pesticide that I can use to spray on my cabbages so the worms don't eat it. And you know what, quite frankly, he doesn't even read about the um, consequences of using that. The negative effects of using that specific um, pesticide, the side effects. He just sprays it because why? He's concerned about his own wealth. He's greedy. And so he sprays his crops. Voila, there's no worms on his cabbage. And what happens? He sells it into the marketplace. You and I, we go, we buy that cabbage. We're innocent bystanders. We just want to eat. I go eat that piece of cabbage. And lo and behold, what happens? Eventually, week after week, eating that stuff, I develop cancer. Now I'm starting to suffer. I believe it's an act of God. Now I start blaming God that I've got cancer. It's outside of my control. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, it's a consequence of somebody who was greedy and who didn't care about the people who was going to eat it. That communist Chinese government that releases a virus on the world for economical warfare, whose fault was that? Where does that evil come from? It comes from the heart of people. That lung disease that is caused by air pollution from factories. Factories who want to produce exponentially, who want to continually produce, they don't care about air pollution, they don't care about water pollution, they don't care because they, they're chasing a profit margin. They are greedy. The directors want to make money because they want to buy the next house or the next next island or whatever it is that they are. They are greedy people. It's birth in sin and that causes suffering. The oceans are going empty of fish in some parts. I hear that the Australians um, have got a uh, this, this liking to eat shark meat and they they've really 
taken out most of the sharks on the South African coastline. So our oceans are being fished dry, not only by the Australians, but by the Chinese. Global warming is causing issues. I mean, I don't even have time to really talk about that. And the, the, the question is, where does it come from? I can, go all, I can go on and on and on about what's wrong in our world. And you know what's interesting? Everybody wants to change it and fix it scientifically. Everybody says, look, these big problems that we have in the world that cause the suffering, the pollution, etc., etc. We need to hold a summit about this and we need to change our governmental policies, etc., etc. But at the heart of the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is the heart of man. At the heart of the problem is the heart of man that listens to the ancient serpents. And atheists hear me talking about the devil and they think it is ridiculous. I mean, you might as well believe in Spider-Man or Superman if you, if you say that there's a devil, etc. Yet when I ask them where evil comes from, they don't have an answer even though they can't deny that it exists. You see, because every atheist believes ex suffering, well, evil exists. And you can, trace evil, you can trace suffering right back to evil. But when we ask the question, where does evil come from, then nobody has an answer. We've got a we've got a we've got a, a theological concept that is six thousand five hundred years old that says there's an evil being roaming the planet who's got a loads of buddies affecting the hearts and the minds of people. And nobody addresses him. Nobody addresses the evil in the heart of man, except those who make disciples. So maybe if you have a problem with suffering, stop blaming God. Look at the heart of man and sign up to start making disciples. Be a, be a servant of light and bring a change in the world one soul at a time. Let me put it another way. If no man on this planet ever listened to Satan, this world would be Eden. There would be no suffering. There would be no e issue with pollution. There would be no issue with cancer because there would be no sin. And if sin wasn't there, there would be no suffering. And evil wouldn't exist. Now some might say, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, the devil causes the suffering. God only does what is good, etc. Um, that's actually not true because I've read the Bible before. God does cause suffering on people. It's not, not just not Satan. I mean, what about God bringing the plagues on Egypt? Many people died. I mean, and many people suffered. God turned the whole Nile River into blood. He brought frogs and gnats and sores on the people. He took the firstborn son of the king of Pharaoh. And you want to tell me that he's a God that does not cause suffering. And what about Herod? Herod was eaten by worms because he refused to give glory to God. Well, what an arrogant God that is. Um, what about Uzzah? Uzzah who touched the ark of the covenant and who was struck by lightning dead right there. He just wanted to make sure that the article of God doesn't fall into the river and God struck him to death. And what about the flood of God that, that you know, God brought upon a global flood where he killed all of the whole human race except eight people. I mean, what type of a God is that? I mean, this God definitely does cause suffering and death. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings me to my second point. God allows suffering for divine reasons. God allows suffering for divine reasons. We don't see anywhere in the Bible God causing suffering. We don't see that anywhere. Now, let me explain that. We see God causing trials. But we don't see him cause suffering. And there's a difference. And the question that maybe is coming up in your mind is, well, what's the difference? Well, suffering is just suffering. It's pain and discomfort. There's no reason. You just suffer and that's it. And that's what Satan does. There is no reason. A trial, however, is suffering for a reason. It's suffering with meaning. 
For example, God disciplines those that He loves like we do to our children. If you take a privilege away from your kid, would you say that you are deliberately making your child suffer and that you don't care about her? Or would you say you are putting your child into an uncomfortable situation for a good reason that your child might not even understand now? You see, here's the difference. When I walk up to my child and I beat my child for no reason, that's what Satan does. That's the type of person that Satan is. But the God who we read about in the Bible, yes, he would walk up to a child and give that child a hiding. But there's a reason because that child needs to learn something. We think that when God does this on a global scale, wow, he's unreasonable. When God does that personally in our lives or allows that in our lives, we think, well, he's unreasonable. Yet we do it to our own children. I take my own kids to the to the. Uh, to the nurse to have them have their injections taken, their vaccines taken so that they can be protected into the future. Yet uh, my kid doesn't understand that. He doesn't even know what a vaccine is. He just knows this big needle is going to his arm and it drives him nuts. Similarly, how can I debate with God when he does send me into a place where I'm going to get a vaccine? I've got to go learn it the hard way. God never instigates or allows pain and discomfort without a very good reason. If he calls himself a father, then we should expect him to discipline like a father. Yes, God has ordered the death of many people and he has struck them down in sometimes horrible ways. We frown upon that and we question God. But when a terrorist group led by Bin Laden kills over 1,000 people by flying a plane into the World Trade Center, we rejoice when the American army eventually kills Bin Laden. We say, that's right, that's good. In actual fact, if I were had held the gun in my hand, I wouldn't feel bad to kill Bin Laden. Because he killed more than a thousand people's death. We frown at God raining down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. How could God destroy two towns just like that? But we forget that the people who lived there, all the people who lived there, wanted to rape visitors to the town even though they were struck with blindness. I mean, just think about that story. The bunch of men, all the men of the town, they come to the door of Lot's house who have, and he's invited two, door, two uh, visitors into his house who were innocent. And these men come knock on the door and they say, bring those men out so that we can rape them. The angels, they were angels, luckily. They struck the guys on the outside of the house with blindness. And you know what? They still sought the door. Even though they were struck with blindness, miraculously, they still wanted to rape these men. How perverse, ungodly, and disgusting you, might, you must be if you do that. Imagine God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and teach a lesson for the whole human race forever. Imagine he didn't do that. How many Sodom and Gomorrahs would there be today where you couldn't set your foot in or you would be raped? What if he let the whole human race just end up like that? The zombie apocalypse would be nothing. You see, our perspective on suffering and God's role in suffering will totally change when we get to see things from his perspective. But we have two problems. Well, maybe it's just one problem. Our brains are too small to comprehend it. And even if God could communicate it to us, we wouldn't be able to understand it. The problem is that our capacity is too small. So we are left then with this task of trying to figure out why does God discipline or allow, or allow suffering in this world? Why does He allow it? I mean, I'm going to read you just a few things. I mean, when, when, when God, uh, when Job asked uh, God that question, you know what God said to him? God said to him some of the following things. Um, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dynam dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? 
or where, where its footing set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. He's saying, where were you when I created the world? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? Can you bind up the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of waters? Do you send the lightning bolts on the way? Do they report to you, here we are? Wow. You see, when Job approaches God and he, and he sort of questions God, he wants to know, well, God, why do you do certain things, allow certain sufferings, etc.? You know what God is saying? He just answers, he just gives him questions. And you know what those questions are? Those are God questions. He says, I don't have to tell you because I'm God. If we ask why Jesus suffered, he would say, so you can live, so you can spend eternity with me, so you can be good enough to live with God in the real life to come, so that you can have eternal life, so you can have a new body. If we go ask Pharaoh why he suffered when God faced him with those ten plagues and Moses and the people of Israel left Egypt, you know what Pharaoh would say? He would say, so God could get glory through it because that's what Romans 9 says. In Luke chapter 13 verse 1 to 5, some people are asking Jesus about specific people who endured great suffering and who died like the Tower of Siloam who fell on some people. And asking them, were these people sinners? Is that the reason why they suffered and died? And Jesus said, no, they weren't worse sinners. They weren't worse sinners than you. And then he says, but unless you repent, you too will perish. In that sense, Jesus is saying, it's none of your business. And don't think that you can accurately figure out why people suffer and why God allows certain things. And it's not necessarily because you have sinned. In John chapter 9, verse 1 to 3, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they come across a man who was born blind. And these disciples asked him, did this man sin or his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus answers them. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, I just want to point out here. Do you see that many times people suffer not because of sin, but because God has willed it like that? It's not always the case, but often it is the case. That blind man received sight from God after Jesus healed him and was never the same. And his story led many people to God. It's 2,000 years later and we still talk about that story. In summary, why does God allow suffering? Well, he's got good reasons. Different reasons in different situations. Most of the time, it's not his plan. It's not his fault that people are suffering. It's because of what people have done. And you know what? He doesn't have to tell us. He doesn't have to explain it. And the best thing that we can do is get aligned with his agenda. Because it, it, then it doesn't matter what we are going through. There will be a good reason. One day we will all understand it. One day we will all understand why. And this leads me to the third and the final point. God doesn't see all people the same. It's important to consider this. There is a worldwide idea that all human beings deserve the blessing and protection of God. Somehow, people tend to think that God is on their side, regardless of what they do. You never acknowledge God. 
You never seek Him even though He made you. You never have a relationship with Him. You never do anything to know Him better. But when you go through a difficult time, you point fingers at Him at him, and you question Him. I'll give you an example quickly. There is a, a, a man that we knew um, whose, whose father was a devout Christian. And this father would often come to his house and talk to him about God. And this guy didn't want to know anything. But he, he also had a child. And when this child was 14 years old... Um, his dad found him. That's that's the, the the middle man now. So the grandfather is the Christian, and he's got a son that he wants to tell about Jesus. The son doesn't believe in Jesus, and obviously, then the grandson also doesn't believe in Jesus. And what so sadly happened is that yet this young boy was fourteen years old. He hung himself in his room, and the father came into the room, and obviously, he found his boy hung there. And when the grandfather came to, to the house after this incident, the father said to him, the dad of the child said to him, Where is your God now? Where is your God now? You say you believe in God. Look at that. Look at my boy hanging there. Where is, where is God now? Your God. You say that there's a God. And I'm sure that you're already thinking that's a no-brainer. But there was somebody with him in the room, uh, a Christian. The Christian said, answered him very easily, where you left him. You want to know where God is? Well, God is where you left Him. If you leave God out of your life, He will stay out of your life. And when you walk into that boy's room, he had posters all over his room of the worst types of bands and images imaginable. That poor young boy has been influenced his whole life by evil. No wonder he took his own life. You don't allow God into your house? That's why things like that often happen. God, ladies and gentlemen, is not in a covenant relationship with everyone. There are basically two groups of people in the world. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who are hot and those who are cold. Those who follow Jesus and those who don't. Those who love God and those who don't. Now, let me just make this clear. God loves the whole human race, but He doesn't have a covenant relationship with the whole human race. He will not protect you against your will. Let that sink in. If you don't want Him in your life in the good times, then don't blame Him for being absent in the bad times. You don't want to know God in the sunshine, but suddenly you wonder where He is in the rain. Two scriptures I want to use to prove that, and there's many I can use. The one is Romans 9. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman Christians, and he says to them, uh, Romans 9, verse 22 to 23, What if God, choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath prepared for destruction? What if He did this to make the riches of His glory known to the objects of His mercy whom He prepared in advance for glory? And then there's also 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 to 21. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And so there are two types of people in these two texts. Let's start with the first one. Paul talks about objects of destruction. You're an object that is going to be destroyed. God knows you will never come to Him. He knows that you will never honor Him. And that you have no interest in knowing the person that created Him. And so He doesn't have any commitment towards you except to use you for a greater purpose. You're an ignoble article in the house. You're basically useless in His great plan for the world. So He will use you like He wants to. 
Okay? When you suffer, you suffer for no purpose. Satan has a ball with you and you will never know why. So you are released in Satan's territory because you follow his ways and so he will use you to have a ball with you. You don't want to be in a covenantal relationship with God and so the promises that God makes are not significant to you because you don't have a covenant with him. And then you get objects of mercy. Objects of mercy. God has already planned in advance great things for you. Easy things and difficult things. Because you're in a covenantal relationship with Him. You are an article in the house of noble purposes. God can use you for His glory. You have promises related to you. You will go through suffering, but you will one day know, one day know why. There will be a good reason. And people in this category, they generally don't really care why they suffer. Because they trust God. Now to, now to explain it more fully, let me just point out once again Romans 8 and verse 28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and love him and who have been called according to his purposes. What does that say? God will make it work out for the good of you if you love him. The thing is, most people who suffer out there in the world, they don't love God. And so their suffering has got no meaning and God's not going to work it out for the good of them. If you are in the second group, this object of mercy group, your suffering has purpose and it doesn't matter what happens to you. It will work out for the good. Why? Because you love God. You love God. Ladies and gentlemen, every human being on this earth will go through suffering and pain and discomfort. But the person who loves God, there will be meaning and purpose and reason behind it. The person who doesn't, you will always ask the question, why did it happen? And you'll never get an answer. So conclusion, let me ask the question, on whose side are you? In the simplest terms, you're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. Don't expect to play games in Satan's territory and not to pay rent. And don't expect to be in God's territory and not go through difficult times. But know that God is using you for a greater purpose and it will work out for your good. So what am I saying today? Some people suffer without reason because they live without God. Some people suffer with reason because they live with God. And we need to distinguish between the two when we talk of suffering. The virus, ladies and gentlemen, comes from Satan, not God. It could come from the Chinese government in partnership with Satan, or it could come from individuals, whether it was an individual that created this thing. And even if it wasn't individuals that could create it, Satan could create it too. Either way, what the reason will be for it in individual lives is dependent on people's relationships with God across the world. Some people will suffer and die without reason because they're not in a relationship with God. Some people will suffer and die for very good reasons. Because they are objects of mercy used for a noble purpose. If you are in Christ. If you're in Christ. And the coronavirus comes and knocks on your door. And it takes you out. And you die. You can smile because you're going to the new world. You're going to level up. You're going to eternity. You get a new body where, to a place where you'll never cry again. Where there's no hospitals and no pain. If the vi virus knocks on your door. And it makes you sick. And it brings great difficulty in your life. It will work out for the good of whatever plan God has got for your life. So either way, a person who is in Christ doesn't have to worry about anything. May God bless you as you wrestle with these thoughts. Remember not to hesitate to send me messages and feedback and objections and questions. It will be wonderful to have you engaged on this podcast. Love you all. Bye.